Father, once again, we're so thankful for the fact that we do have still the freedom to meet in this country, the freedom to study your word. And Father, we're thankful that as we delve into the, this book, there are so many things we can understand so easily if we will just take the Bible literally. And Father, we realize that that's the biggest challenge that we have is not to come to the Bible with our own preconceptions and to try and interpret it according to what we think, or, nor should we come to the Bible looking for things and try to determine what they mean to me. We should be looking at the book and saying, what did you say, Father? What did you mean? And to whom is this addressed? And does it have a re what relationship, if any, does it have to us? And Father, we know if we come to the Bible with the right mindset, then the Holy Spirit is better able to, to guide and direct and to teach us. May he be the teacher today, we ask now in our Savior's name. Amen. So we are looking at a study that we started last time on, uh, in our series on uh, p the problems we don't have when we take the Scripture literally. We were looking at Matthew chapter 24, and the reason we were there is because one of the, one of the ongoing in interesting things that you'll see, one of the ongoing loves of most Christians is trying to find events that will precede the rapture, trying to find in Scripture, are there things in Scripture that are stated as signs that precede the rapture? And if you go to any, any search engine and put in signs before the rapture, you'll find that there is just scores of men that have written things about this. And so I'm by no means original in, in going into a study like this. I'm doing something others have done. But what you'll find is most of them will find signs that precede the rapture, and one of the places they will go to the most often is they will come to Matthew 24. So if we take Matthew 24 literally, I believe it will show us that there are not signs in Scripture that precede the rapture. And we'll see why. We, we've been dealing, we dealt with this last month, and we looked at the fact that Matthew 24, when we get there, this is called the so-called Olivet Discourse, and it's definitely prophetic. But if we keep it in context, context gets us out of so much trouble the context of Matthew 24 is it follows right after the tri so-called triumphal entry when Jesus presented himself formally as king and, and complete fulfillment of scripture. He came riding on a foal, like it said in the prophets that he would do, and nothing happened. The people didn't respond. So now, because the people have not responded, there's going to be a change. And so what Matthew 24 and 25 are going to be talking about is not going to be about the church. You know, that's one of the big problems people have is they want us to be involved in everything. They want the church to be everywhere. Well, unfortunately, it's not. And you can see when you come to Matthew 24, there's going to be something. And we dealt last week or last month, we built up the events in the so-called triumphal entry that led to this point. And you could see that when Christ came in, he came in. He was clearly presented as the king and there was no response. But he was clearly presented as a king, so now we're going to see something different. So we're on, if, you, if you have my notes from last, uh, last month, and they're available, by the way, anybody that's, uh, if you're joining us on the uh, internet, you can go to our church website and you can find my set of notes on there under, the, under problems we don't have. If we take scripture literally, it would be misunderstanding Matthew 24. And there's also, I put another, gave you another page, and uh, I handed you another page that you can, you'll notice that has a whole lot of references on. We will get to that at the end, but that last page, I think, may be very helpful to you, because it shows you this word generation. It's going to be a big word, and as far as Matthew 24 is concerned, it's going to be very important, because that word is mistranslated, and it's caused people to misunderstand 
Matthew 24. It's really helped in the misunderstanding of it. So, when you go to Matthew 24, let's look at the first two verses, and I think this will really give you the key. This, is the, this will be the key to understanding, what is this chapter about? Is this chapter about things that precede the rapture? Well, let's, let's look and see what it's talking about. Now, you realize, of course, as, I, as, as, as often has been said, is that the chapters are divisions that were put into the scripture. They weren't there in the original. They were just man-contrived ideas, which I'm not against because it's easier to track through the Bible. But you'll notice that verse 1 of Matthew 24 begins with, and Jesus went out. Now, when you see the little word A-N-D on a sentence, that should tell us, as, as students, in English even, it says that you're continuing something. So, it's continuing an explanation. Back in verse 39, he says, For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus went out. So, he's continuing the subject. This is continuation of what was said in the 24th chapter, or 23rd chapter. And you can see that he's been rejected as king. Uh, he says in verse 37 of Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that stone the prophets... And kill uh, you the killer prophets and stone them that are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not? Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Ah, now there's something going on here. This is about Israel, and it says their house is left desolate. And then he explains by saying, "You're not going to see. You're not going to see me again until you say henceforth, blessed he, is he that comes in the name of the Lord." So now we find out there's desolation coming. And he's going to have to come back, come and be accepted a second time. And he goes out and begins this. Now you see what he's talking about. Matthew 24 is tied very, 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 very closely to the fact that now as a rejected king, the city's going to be destroyed and he's going to eventually come back and he's going to be accepted at some point in the future because that's what he says. You'll not see me until you say, henceforth until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So he's going to have to come back a second time to Jerusalem. But he says in verse 37, the key, th in verse 38, your house is left unto you desolate. Something is going to happen. So when you begin reading the 24th chapter, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now stop for just a second there. Jesus had been to the temple many times, but what we don't have in scripture is that King Herod, who was the one that tried to kill Jesus, spent 46 years in building the temple. So it was an ongoing project, and so very likely it wasn't entirely finished, and so there might have been parts of it that were newer that maybe Christ hadn't seen. And his disciples just, they, it says they came for him to show him the buildings of the temple. So now he's gone out of the temple. He said that he's going to have to come again to be accepted as their king, and the city's going to be desolate. So they're showing him the buildings of the temple. Now Jesus says this in verse 2. And here's the key to understanding this chapter, I believe. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Now all these things refers to the buildings of the temple. I say unto you that there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Oh, 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 oh. So the temple is going to be left desolate and there's not going to be one stone left upon another. Now historically, um, historically what we're told is that because of the gold and the temple, Solomon's temple and then the rebuilt temple that Herod had, there was so much gold, when it, the heat from the fire that they burned it with, the gold melted and ran down. So to get the gold, they pried the bricks apart, the stones apart to get the gold out of it. 
Now, that's, that's a testimony of history. So if that's true, and I, I would suspect it very likely is true, knowing how the Romans were, that there wasn't one stone left upon another. So now Jesus has come right out and said, the city's going to be desolate, but more important, this magnificent temple that Herod was building was going to be brought down to the ground and every stone pried apart. Now, what would you think the disciples would be interested in? Well, knowing about the rapture of the church, right? <laughs> no. And verse 3. So now you've got the idea. You see that it, the, he's presenting to them that the fact the temple is going to be torn apart, stone by stone. There's not even going to be a stone left upon another. And as he sat at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. Now notice, privately. This is not a public discourse. This was not given to the people. This was given to, given to his disciples. And they privately, and they said, tell us. Now, they're going to ask him three specific questions. Now, if you have my notes on page three, they ask him three specific questions that are all going to be related directly to Israel. Directly to Israel, because uh, there's nothing in here about the church. So he, they, they ask him, first of all, when shall these things be? Now, that refers back to the, his statement back in verse one, that there won't be one stone left upon another. When shall these, thi these things be? What things? Well, the, thing, the only thing in context that they could be asking about is if he said every stone, there won't be one stone left upon another. Well, they want to know when's that going to happen? That's all they're asking for. That makes sense, doesn't it? In context, it'd be real difficult for me to imagine that they're saying, when shall these things be in return, in return to the dispensation of grace ending and Christ coming for the church and the rapture? I mean, uh, I just don't see that being a very likely thing. To when shall these things, when's it going to happen? And then it says, what shall be the sign of thy coming is the second one. Now, you remember back in the 39th verse of the 23rd chapter, he said, you will not see me till you say henceforth, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So what's the sign of your coming? He said he was going to have to come back to be accepted. What's the sign of it? So this is start Israel. And then it says, what is the sign of the end of the age? Now, I know it says world here in verse 3, but I, I believe I put in there, I guess, no, I didn't put in there. If, I guess I did. There it is. You'll notice that I have in there, age is G165. If you use e-sword, you can chase this word through. This word is a very commonly mistranslated word. It's translated world over and over. And by doing it, it obscures the meaning of Scripture. Now, I don't know whether it was intentional. I think it might have been because... The people that translated the King James were, were from the Church of England, and the Church of England had a, a whole type of theology we call Reformed theology. They don't like dispensationalism. They don't believe in anything we do. So if they translated this word age as world, then it makes it sound like something it doesn't mean. It makes it sound like it's talking about the great white throne and the final events. And that's exactly what we put in here. You'll notice I put point number two, the mistranslation obscures the entire chapter and causes many to, to, to evaluate or to equate the judgment. Now, in Matthew 25, there's going to be a judgment passage. And you see it. I have it listed in your notes. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. We're not going to go there. But if you look at that passage, and many will take that and they will line that up and say, well, that matches up to the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, if we went through the details through here, you'd see that there's very little in common with the two. The two are two different things. But you see, by saying the end of the world, it makes it sound like he's talking about what's going to be, this is the, this is the finality. This is, this is the final judgment. This is the end of everything. When you get to the end of this passage, this chapter, the next chapter, you're going to see the final judgment. This will be the end of the world. 
But unfortunately, that's not the word. This word is age. And it doesn't have anything to do with the end of the world because this is the end of the age in which they were living. They were in a particular age and they recognized it. The end of the age in which they were living, the disciples themselves. What's the sign of it being over with? Now, Jesus is going to answer all three of these questions in terms of Israel. What's the sign of the end of the age? That's the one he's going to answer first. Well, let's look. In a, you, you see it in verses, uh, let's see, all three questions, the end of the age. Let's see, that should be Matthew 24, verse 14. Now, I have in a one comma four. If you look at my notes, it should, that, that comma shouldn't be in there. Somehow or another, I didn't, uh, <clears throat> didn't proofread myself like I should have. So it's actually Matthew 24, 14. When shall these things be? Or what's, excuse me, what's a sign of the end of the age? Well, the gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached unto all the world for witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. So they want to know about the end of the age? What does he say here? When does, his, when does the end come? When the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout all the world. Now, I would like to say that the gospel has been preached everywhere throughout the world, that the gospel of 1 Corinthians 15 has been. But I have to tell you, that hasn't happened. In 2,000 years, the church has not yet taken the gospel to every corner of the world. There are places where, to this day, there's no Bible translations in the language of the people. There's never been a missionary gone. That Christ is unknown. But the gospel of the kingdom... Now, that's not the gospel that we have today. Please remember, we're not gonna ha- we don't have time to go into all of that, but the word for gospel is used of good news. And the context determines what good news it is. The good news we have today is 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, he rose again, and he's, today he's living, and he will be the Savior for those who believe in his sacrifice for their sins. That's good news for today. But when we see in the Scripture, it talks about Abraham having good news, and he believed God. His good news was not exactly the same thing. God told him, look at the heavens and see all those stars up there. And Abraham says, yeah, I see them. God says, every one of them is a child. And Abraham says, amen. And Scripture says, that was good news. Well, it was good news to him, wasn't it? He didn't have any children. All of a sudden, to be told he's going to have as many children as our stars. They say on any given night, if you can see away from the city lights, you can see about something like 8,000 stars in the Milky Way. I don't know if that's actual. I've never seen that many. I remember when I was a kid, I saw where we lived, you could see, and it looked like there was just an unbelievable number. You couldn't begin to count them. So good news, the good news of the kingdom, that the king is coming, that he's going to set up his kingdom. We know something about that if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You want to know what the kingdom is going to be like, what the message was like? Go back in Matthew and read it. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The good news of the kingdom. It's not just because you see the word gospel. Don't assume that it's talking about 1 Corinthians 15. That was not written when, when this was stated. 1 Corinthians 15 wasn't written. In fact, the church isn't even in view here at all. There's nothing about the church. You read Matthew 24 and 25 and tell me how many times you see something related to the word church. You don't. In fact, in Matthew, you have to go back to the 16th chapter to find one, me- one mention of it. And it was kind of garbled under the fact that Peter didn't like the idea that Christ was going to die. And he kind of overlooked the fact that there was going to be something called a church. He didn't care for it. So what are we saying? There are three questions. So the first one, the sign of the end of the age. You can read down through here, and it tells you some of the events from verse 4 on. He said, you can read, there's going to be many that would come and say they were Christ and so forth. 
and you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars and so forth and all those. Oh, yeah, well, let's see, that proves, look, we have wars and rumors of war today, don't we? Well, tell me, where in human history have you not seen wars and rumors of wars? Did you know, and if you're a history buff, I used to like history. and In high school, that was one of the only things I liked that they taught. Did you know how history is usually divided up in your history books? It's divided by wars. Have you ever noticed that? You'll have history from the, from the birth of the United, from the birth of America, Revolutionary War, up to the Civil War. Seriously, that's how they divide history. Then they'll have from the Civil War to the Second World War, the history of the United States. They generally seem to divide history for, for our, our country and other places in terms of the wars a lot of times. Now, not all history, but that's how common it is. So how can we say that that would be some kind of something related to the rapture, wars and rumors of wars? I'm 72, or I will be 72, and I think maybe there's only one person here that's older than me, and I can go back over my life, and in my time, I do not remember any period of history in this world and anything where there hasn't been a war somewhere. Can anybody think of a time when there wasn't? Now, we know the Vietnam War, that, but that went on before we were involved in it. That was going on. Then you had China had problems, and the communists overtook them, and you had Russia. Well, that was earlier than that. But you have just one war after another. Where, when has it ever been that we haven't had them? So that's not a sign, but you can see what they do this. So when you go down through here, you can see in verse 12, for example, here's another one people like to pick, and it says, Because of the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Okay, so there's going to be so much iniquity or unrighteousness that love is going to get cold. They look at the church and say, that's what's happened to the church. Well, you know, it seems to me that if you read the epistle of 1 John, first, which was written around 100 A.D., that the apostle John kept saying, love one another over and over and over and over. And why did he say that? I remember what the pastor said. You remember what you said about that? You said, John kept telling me to love one another because... They weren't doing it. And when he was asked, well, why do you keep saying it? It says, because you guys aren't doing it. So if, you know, if love waxed cold, well, where did, when did that start? 100 AD. So how could that possibly have anything to do with, you know, how can you just read that into today and say, well, this is what's going on today in our world? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. We keep it in context. This is a future time because the conclusion of it is, is this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. The end of the age comes after that happens. Well, if it was a preaching of the gospel to all the world, then we'd have nothing to worry about, folks. We've got a long time because it hasn't happened yet, if that's what this referring to. Now, when shall these things be? Well, you go down a little bit further to verse 15. When therefore you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. And it goes on from there. And so, it goes on. It says there will be, verse 20, there will be great tribulation. Verse 21. So, these things will be when they see the abomination of desolations. Now, that goes back to, you notice we have it printed in your notes. It goes back to the midpoint of the tribulation. One of these things is going to be the middle of the tribulation. This is all prophetic for Israel. And because you notice, we have printed it on the bottom of the page, and it's in Daniel 9.27, if you need to turn there. 
It says, He shall confirm the covenant with the many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations shall he make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that shall be ter- determined shall be poured forth upon the desolate. All of that really <laughs> is going to happen whenever we find in 2 Thessalonians 2, whenever the man of sin is going to stand in the temple and say, I'm God. That's it, boys. I'm God. Now, that has not happened. I know, I know there are people in government that seem to think they're God, but, but none of them have had the brass to claim that they were God yet. So when is this going to be? Well, it's going to happen in the future whenever you see. Now, one point here, you can help other believers. If you run across someone who wants to say that Matthew 24 is, involves us in the church and we're going to be here to see this, then ask them about verse 15. Just show them that. It says, when you shall see... See, with these eyes, you shall see the abomination of desolation. In other words, you're going to have to be here to see that happen. Well, now, wait a minute. According to Daniel 9, that's the 70th week. That's right in the tribulation. Well, this is obviously talking about events in the tribulation. Doesn't that make sense, folks? Can you see it? If it's, if it's abomination of desolations spoken of by Daniel, the 70th week of Daniel, that's right in the middle of the tribulation. Well, how can something that happens in the middle of the tribulation be a sign the tribulation is coming? Does that make any sense to anybody? Something happening in the tribulation? You'd have to be a lawyer to, to figure that out, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's not nice to pick up. Let's pick on us. You have to be in government. You have to be a politician to figure that out. It makes no sense. This is something happening in tribulation. How can that possibly be a sign that the, the, the rapture is coming because the rapture precedes the tribulation? Do you see the problem we have here? But people want to do this. They come here and they take and say, well, we like what this says. And, there, there's, and, and if you want to fulfill that, then read verse 16. Then let them that are in Judea flee into the mountains. Wait a second. We've got a problem here, folks. I'm not in Judea. We don't have any mountains in Florida, Pastor. Where do we flee to? Do we flee to the Everglades, maybe? I don't know. You see the problem we have with all this? These things shall be. It's talking about something that's future. Now, over on page 4, and we have, well, there's a whole lot we could, more we could say. How about the sign of his coming? On top of page 4. Well, Jesus did not tell what that sign was going to be. He's going to tell you in Revelation, but he does not tell you here. But he tells you when it's going to be. He doesn't tell you what it is, but he tells you when. Now, that was his choice to do that. He's going to reveal it later. But you'll notice in verse 29... Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in power, uh, in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So when is it going to happen? When is this, what is the sign of his coming? Well, he doesn't tell you here, but he tells you when. The sun is going to go out. Now, if you talk to any scientist today and you say, what would happen if the sun would go out? They'll tell you in eight minutes that the whole, everything on earth would die because there'd be no heat, there'd be no light, and so on and so forth. That's what scientists would tell you, but apparently that's not going to be the case. You know, science, uh, scientists only know so much. Did you know, Pastor, they don't know everything? <laughs> yeah, I know you've, you've had good words to say about some of the psychologists and psychiatrists about how much they know. Well, the other kind of science, you know, they're about as good as that. Maybe not even that good. But so, you don't know when. But, but now, this event hasn't happened, has it? Has the sun gone out? Moon quit giving? No. 
But against that background, they're going to see something. Now, what they're going to see, I believe that Jesus does later give a revelation of it. And if you look over to, to Revelation chapter 21, you can see it. What this is going to be is this is going to be something called the New Jerusalem. And it's going to be coming to earth because God is going to reign over the earth from this place called the New Jerusalem. And that's going to be what they're seeing. Now, it's not told back here in, in Matthew, but I do believe it's exactly what we see. Because when you go to Matthew, Revelation chapter 21, you look at verses 23 and 24. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Now, in our notes, you, in our notes, you notice I highlighted, the nations shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. And that city, over in Revelation chapter 21, that city is the New Jerusalem. Because it says in Revelation 21 verse 9, it says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, he's not going to show you the bride, but he's actually going to show you the place she lives. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, you notice it says descending out of heaven. This place, the new Jerusalem, comes out of heaven. So the, so the description that follows is not talking about heaven. It's talking about the new Jerusalem. But you wouldn't believe how many people come here and they read beginning at verse 12 and say, this is, this is heaven, this is what heaven is going to look like. No, it says, this is the new Jerusalem. And it's coming out of heaven. So it was in heaven, but it's coming out of heaven. So this was something that was seated in heaven. But it's not all of heaven, it's just something that comes out of heaven. And that's going to come with the saints. Remember, we're coming back with Christ. We're coming in the new Jerusalem. And that's what they're going to see back in Matthew 24. When they see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory, you have this city, and we won't have time to go into all the details, but it's about 1,500 miles across, and it's going to have the glory of God lighting it, coming toward the earth against a pitch black sky. Do you think that they'll be able to see that? I don't think they'll be able to see anything else. And so that's when, well, now what does that have to do with the church? Well, actually, it has a lot to do with the church, because we're going to be in that city when it comes back. But... So you, you come up with a very simple conclusion, and this is the bottom of page four. And we're going to go a little bit further than this, but I want to mention something else that will be helpful here too. But plain and simple, a, little a literal interpretation of Matthew 24 and 25 allows no place for the church or the rapture to be included because the church is not found or mentioned in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, you do, I have in the notes here, it was mentioned, the church is mentioned back in Matthew one time, back Matthew 16, 18, and 19. But we don't see anything else about the church after that. Now, if I want to read the church in here, in Matthew 24 and 25, I have to do something called eisegesis, reading stuff into Scripture. Now, Pastor, what right do you have to read into Scripture something that you like? You don't. Scott, do you, do you, would you like to read? Is there stuff that you'd like to read into Scripture? Maybe I'd like to, but I know Brother Scott, I love the way you say things. As Brother Scott says, I'd love to, but I know better. You know, but that's what people have to do back here. Now, 
The other thing that you have to remember, this is the real, this is the one that makes all the difference in the world. Why is Matthew 24 and 25 not about, if, if what we've said already hasn't convinced you, there's one other thing that should be, should be really the backbreaker. The rapture is a mystery until Paul revealed it. Now, Paul wasn't running around during Christ's earthly ministry. If he was, he was against Christ because we know he was one of those who was against Christ until Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus and knocked him off of his, uh, <clears throat> knocked him off of his one behind to his other behind, off of his camel to his backside. That's one, one butt to the other, huh? <laughs> so, but he does say in 1 Corinthians 15, now, for the sake of time, we won't go there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, he says to the Corinthians, Behold, I t- show you a mystery. Now, what is a mystery in Scripture? A mystery is found in Romans 16. If you need them to, to write this in your notes as a reminder, write Romans 16, 25, and 26, because it'll tell you what a mystery is. All a mystery is is a truth that is revealed to the church which was not revealed in the Old Testament to Israel. The rapture was a mystery. Why would you reveal, why would you reveal to Israel the fact that the church was going to be taken away before the tribulation when they didn't even know there was such a thing as a church? And when they probably didn't understand the tribulation, why would you, why would you have that? Well, if the, if the rapture is not revealed till Paul revealed it, and that's after Jesus Christ rose from the dead and sometime later gave it to Paul, then how could he be back in Matthew 24? How could Jesus be talking about something that wasn't yet revealed? Does that make any sense? Would he be telling you about the rapture when it hasn't been revealed and won't be for quite some time? So if we pull, if we pull events out of here, how in the world can we, how can, with a clear conscience, how could you do that? How could you take anything out of Matthew 24 and says, this is a sign the rapture is coming? How can stuff that happens in the tribulation be a sign the rapture is coming? If you, once you see those signs by that point, I think everybody's going to realize, hey, the rapture is going to come. In fact, it's already come. It's just, it's just funny. And you can say one other thing about this. You notice on our notes, the rapture is a mystery. It wasn't revealed until Paul revealed it in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and 51. And Paul expected to be alive when the rapture came. Now, this is important. You'll notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 and verse 17. I have it printed in your notes, but you can look at it in the scripture if you don't want to read my notes. If Paul expected to be alive when the rapture came, how could there be any sign preceding the rapture? If there was any signs preceding the rapture, Paul would have had to say, after this happens, then... We which are alive. But look what he says, 1 Thessalonians 4.15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, or actually precede, them which are asleep. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, if Paul expected to be alive, then how could there have been something preceding the rapture that he could have looked at and could have known about? It wouldn't make any sense. He'd have had to say, after this happens, if we're still alive. After that happens, if we're still... No, he doesn't say any of that. Now, in a nutshell, you can just simply say, if we take this chapter literally, in light of Scripture, there's no way that you can find any signs preceding the rapture. Now, I want you to look at page 5 that I gave you today. Now, part of the problem here is we could take the Bible literally, but sometimes it's kind of hard to take the Bible literally when you have a mistranslation. And there's a mistranslation of a word, I think, that will really change the perception. I believe Matthew 24, verse 34, is one of the most unfortunate mistranslations in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and one of the most misleading mistranslations that you're ever going to find. 
Why do I say that? Well, Matthew 24, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, Reformed theology loves that translation. I have a note in here, and I've taken it from a man. I, I pick on this man because, well, he's Reformed, and he says things nice and succinctly. There are things that, Matt, that Albert Barnes said that were not bad in his commentary in the Bible, but this isn't one of them. He says this, you'll notice, a generation is about, he said, this age, this race of people, a generation is about 30 or 40 years. The destruction of Jerusalem took place about 40 years after this was spoken. So in other words, by translating that generation, all the events that you see in the 24th chapter had to happen by <laughs> 70 A.D. Do you see why they like that word generation? Because they don't want there to be a future for Israel. They don't want anything beyond the church. And by making it say generation, the people alive then, we're going to see all of these things, then that wipes out any possibility for there to be anything beyond 40 years out. That's the whole problem. Okay, so that interpretation requires some things. So let's look at what it requires. Number one, was the sun and moon darkened? Now we read those verses. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, I dare say if that ever happened in history, we would have heard about it. It would have been written by multiple historians worldwide. But there's nothing about that any place with the sun going out and the moon not shining. Well, did the nations ever see the, the coming, Christ coming in his glory? <laughs> there's a dead giveaway. Matthew 24, 30. Did this happen by A.D. 70? And then there shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and so on. Did that happen? No. That did not happen. Here, now, here's another one that's even, even just uh, a little bit better. In Matthew 24, uh, let's see, verse 31. I have Matthew 24, 3, I have put it in the notes. It's Matthew 24, 31. Correct my notes, if you would. My editor, who reads my notes for me, is pretty bad, and I have to fire him. <clears throat> I do my own proofreading. My proofreader is getting senile, I think. I don't know. But it's Matthew 24, 31. It says... And then he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Matthew 24, 31. Did that happen? Well, if it happened, there's nothing in history any place about it, because you'll find out in the 25th chapter why those people are gathered together. Because it says in Matthew 25, 31. Now, this isn't in your notes, but you could add this in. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and his holy angels with him, then he shall set upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations. How are they going to be there? Angels are going to bring them. Now, if, that's the, if that actually happened, you would have had to have the judgment of sheep and goats back there. But did that happen? Well, I'll tell you, if there was anything like that that happened in history, it would have been written all over the place. So... What you have here is that this, this is one of the main, main forms that, that people will hold to. It's called, quote-unquote, Reformed theology or traditional Christianity. They will say that all these events happened by A.D. 70. Now, to get that to happen, you, what would you have to do? You can't take this stuff literally, can you? You have to allegorize it. Now, I'd like to hear how they allegorize some of this. I'd really like to hear about the Son of Man coming in His glory. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see what they do about allegorizing the sun and moon going out. How, do you, how, how would you do that? You know, Pastor, you and I are going to have to sit down. We'll write our own comic books based on this stuff, and we can do it. It's just crazy. Now, there is another position that's held here, and you'll notice I put this down. 
and, and it's, it's based upon this word generation. And it's all because they want to hold the word generation as meaning generation. And this position, and there are many people who are, are good people who believe in dispensationalism. They say that Jesus was speaking of a future generation. Now, they're trying to get away from the idea that those things had to happen within a specific generation. They say, well, this happens in this generation, not passing away. Well, that must be it's a future generation because it didn't happen when that generation passed away. Well, I see that they're trying to, to escape a pitfall. But the problem is, what evidence do you have? Looking back at Matthew 24, he shall send forth his angels, now learn a parable of the fig tree and so forth. And he says in verse 34... Verse 33 says, So likewise ye, when ye shall see these things, you know that it is near, even at the doors. So you shall see these things. He's talking to people that were alive then. And he says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, all these things be fulfilled. Does that sound like he's speaking of a future generation? By context and by simple English reading, it sounds like he's talking about, you people out here, this generation I'm talking to. But see that some want to make this a, a future generation. But I don't see how you can read that into Scripture. There again, I realize what they're trying to do is they're trying to avoid the error of Reformed theology of the majority position. That, well, it happened by 70 A.D. The key to understanding this goes to a very simple word. And that's why I said the key word, if you get Matthew 24, verse 34, that word for generation, there's your problem. Now, that last sheet I gave you, I have all the uses of the, of the word. There are two different words. One is an... If, if for a little bit of Greek, one is a masculine noun and one is a feminine noun, but it comes from the same root. And that last page, I have all the places where the word generation is. And if you look at that just for a moment, you can look at this for your own benefit later. I have a verse, then a center column, which says the King James translation. Then I have the meaning. And if you go through there, you'll see that, boy, oh boy, they have generation. The second column over, whoo, there's a whole lot of times it means people or race. And that word really means race, stock, or kind. There are two different words. One of them is translated race, stock, uh, is descendant, family, race, people, or nation. The other one is translated as race, clan, descendants, generation, contemporaries. Now, what does that all mean? What Jesus said in Matthew 24, 34 changes everything, if it's translated correctly. He said, this race shall not pass away. This race, who's this race? The Jews. How many times in history have people attempted to exterminate the Jews? Adolf Hitler. A whole bunch of other people have tried to exterminate. Are the, are the Jews gone? Well, they're still here, aren't they? What this is, is Jesus saying, this race of people is not going to pass away. They're going to be here. That changes everything. You see the difference between saying this generation, these people here, this 40-year period, within 40 years? No. If you say this race of people... A lot has happened. Now, Jesus Christ very well knew as the Son of God that there would be a long time until these events would be fulfilled. But that still, no matter that there would be a long time, the race of people were still going to be there. Now, if you want to see some illustrations of that, on this chart back here, I picked just two verses. Look over at Luke chapter 11. I want you to see something in Luke 11 and ask yourself, does it make sense to say generation or would it make more sense to say race, stock, or kind, a race of people. In Luke chapter 11, this is one of the interesting places it tells you, when did the cosmos, Satan built a system called the cosmos, when did he start building it? It actually tells you here. It says, uh, 
Well, let's begin verse 49. Therefore I said unto you, in the wisdom, therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world. The foundation of the world is talking about a system that someone built. Satan is the one that built the world system. So it says the foundation of, of this, the foundation of the world may be required from this generation? You mean all of the unrighteousness, all of the suffering, all of the prophets were going to be required of just that one little segment of, of the Jewish people? Does that make sense to you? Or would you say they be required of this race? From the blood of Abel and to the blood of Zacharias. The blood of Abel, the first murder, that's when the world system started. Well, the planet was already here, so when it says the foundation of the world, it can't be talking about this earth. It wasn't started when Abel was slain. Slain. Something else was started when Abel was slain. The world system. Satan started it. Now, you can figure out why, if you think for a moment, if, if Satan has his subjects and they start killing each other off, he's thinking, well, I've got to do something about these people. They're going to kill each other. I'm not going to have anybody to roll over. So the world system was started because of that. And it's continued on. It has to the blood of Zacharias, which was one of the latter prophets, it said, it shall be required of this, that 40-year group of people, uh, they, weren't the, they didn't kill all the prophets. They only killed Jesus, primarily. So that's the main prophet they're going to get, along with maybe John the Baptist, but that was Rome. No, it, this is talking about, you see the difference? This race, these people, the Jewish people are held accountable for all of this. That makes a whole lot more sense. Now, if you look at this list in here, and I have, you can see, in that one, you can see there's a whole string in the center column of the one that's Ganea, the second column over, of generation all the way down. And most of them, if you look at what I put in the column, almost all of them mean race, stock, a kind of people. And they obscure a lot of passages of Scripture, many passages, by simply mistranslating that one word. So, in a sense... Matthew 24 was a little bit harder to take literally because we had a mistranslation that blocked us from doing it. But when we put the right word in there, when we put generation, when we replace that with what it should be in verse 34, this race shall not pass away. Now you see the big picture. It wasn't going to happen overnight. It wasn't going to happen within 30 or 40 years. Oh, I know, 40 years down the road, you're going to have the temple leveled. But you don't have the sun and moon darkened. You don't have him coming in glory. You don't have the nations being gathered together. No, none of that. But the assurance is this race of people are going to be there. I can tell you one thing. No matter what the world tries to do, no matter how much Satan tries to get rid of them, this race of people is not going to pass away. They are going to be here because God has made a promise back in Genesis 15. God says, I've given a land to this people. They're going to have to be here to get it, aren't they? They don't own it today. They've lost it, but it's still theirs, according to God. So how are they going to get it? They're going to have to be alive to get it, aren't they? There's going to have to be Jews here. So when we take the Bible literally, we're not going to have problems taking things that we like and trying to find similarities. You go through math, if you go to those websites and you'll find it, invariably they'll find wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. Oh, there's all kinds of earthquakes. We've got a whole bunch of them. Uh, when have, they, when have there not been Earthquakes. When have there not been famines on this planet? When have there not been wars on this planet? How can that be a sign of anything? 
There have been famines and wars. As long as there have been humans, there have been all of those things. No, let's, let's take it literally. This is talking about vents. And like I said, the one thing you can show people, the simplest way to show them is just take that one verse, Matthew twenty four fifteen. It said, when you shall see the abomination of desolation. Okay, if you're going to be here to see that, guess what? It's already too late for you to be told the rapture's coming because you already missed it if you're here on earth. And that's the easiest way to show them. Or the other way to show them is just show them Matthew 24, 1 and 2, where he's talking about the city being destroyed and his disciples are asking him in relation to that. When is he going to come? He said he's leaving. They're not going to see him again until they say, Blessed is, the name. He comes, Blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord. When are they going to see him again? When is he going to come a second time? What's the sign of it? It all ties to Israel. We, we save ourselves so much headache if we just take the Bible literally, don't we, friends? We really do. So if you're looking for signs preceding the rapture, just remember what Paul said. We which are alive and remain. I'm not looking for signs preceding the rapture. Brother Scott, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for the rapture. Brother, Brother Courtney, you looking for the rapture too? So am I. All of us. There are no signs to precede the rapture. If we take the Bible literally, we save ourselves so much headache and so much misunderstanding and so much ignorance.